Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're listening to Over the Influence. I'm your host, Ariel Laurie. I'll be talking to movers and shakers in the world of wellness and beyond, and people who have had their own interesting journey, whether it be physical, mental, spiritual, or professional. Thanks for joining. Let's get into it. Wednesday, or whatever day it is that you're listening to this episode. I guess it could be any day of the week, so happy that day. (laughs) Disregard. Today, I am talking to Rob Yang, who is my nutritionist, and if you follow me on Instagram, you might know that Rob and I have been on a gut healing mission for the past almost year and a half, and it's night and day from when we started. I think back or look back on old photos from before he and I started working together, and it's really shocking to me now to see the extreme bloating and to remember the really acute digestive issues that I was suffering from because that was my norm back then. So it didn't really phase me, but now that I don't really experience that anymore, I have a little perspective and I'm just so grateful for Rob's guidance. So I'm excited to share him with you. He's so knowledgeable and there's so much ground to cover I think I need to have him back periodically to the podcast and pick a topic and delve really deep, but we definitely covered a lot in this interview as well. So just a technical note, Rob and I recorded this episode back in January when I had no clue what I was doing. I still kind of don't, but (laughs) I'm winging it. But I didn't have the software back then that I have now, so the sound quality is a little bit different. And you might hear Harvey in the background. So just wanted to put that out there. So a little bit about Rob. He has a master's in human nutrition and is a certified nutritionist. He is a strength and conditioning specialist, a Czech level four practitioner, and an advisory board member with the Titleist Performance Institute. He specializes in nutrition, sports performance, and lifestyle coaching. His integrative and individualized programs have helped athletes and individuals improve performance, prevent injuries, and improve health and vitality. 
Okay, so welcome, Rob Yang, to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. It's only natural that I would have you as my first guest um, because we've been working together for over a year now, and you've just been so immensely helpful um, to me on my personal journey. So I'm really happy to get to share you with everybody. Great. I'm excited <laughs> to share and try to help people as much as they can. Yeah. So why don't you just give everyone a quick intro about your background and how you got into the field that you're in now? Sure. So my background, I'm in high school, I was involved in a lot of different sports. So I just for personal gain, I was always interested in trying to increase my performance for sports and getting stronger for powerlifting and then eventually bodybuilding and all these different sports. And so the nutrition side of it was always intriguing. And so um, uh, I was always trying to learn something. And so, I mean, at the period of time, the only education were magazines. Um, and then um, as I went to school, um, I wanted to study nutrition. And so once I graduated from school, I um, got my license to be a nutritionist. And at the time I was still uh, personal training people and um, I, I got my, uh, that's what we call CSCS, a certified strength and conditioning specialist. So I was working in that, in that capacity um, on both sides. I, I tell people it depends on kind of what hat I'm wearing. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm wearing the strength coach hat and sometimes I'm, you know, wearing um, just the nutrition hat. And so it just evolved and changed. And, and so as I wanted to become more educated after uh, going to university, that's where I was really um, just fascinated with functional medicine. Um, and so people will say it's alternative medicine or whatever that is, but basically looking at how each system of the body is so interactive with each other and looking at digestion and how that impacts your hormones and how your hormones can affect obviously, you know, other parts of your physiology and the detox pathways. And so, um, I just continued to educate myself in that capacity. And so, right, you know, right now in my practice, sometimes I'm wearing the strength coach hat, sometimes I'm wearing the nutrition hat, and then the other times I'm wearing both hats, depending on who I'm working with. Right. Um, so for me, you know, as a practitioner, it, it's, um, it's always interesting. I always work with a lot of different types of uh, people, athletes, people with a lot of issues. And so um, for me, that's exciting. And um, I'm always learning on a daily basis. It's always interesting to me when a more natural, holistic approach to our health, so functional medicine or integrative medicine is deemed alternative. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it just seems like that should be our primary modality of treatment rather than like maybe a more westernized approach where often we just are treating symptoms with drugs and don't get me wrong my dad's a doctor i believe in western med medicine everything has a time and a place i just maybe i'm just cynical from my own experiences but i guess i wish that a more holistic approach was the norm you know i think as with any industry you know you 
you get focused on a pathway. And so it's nothing wrong with it in terms of the mm -hmm. medical community, but it, you know, there's, every, there's a specialist for every single thing, you know, from, you know, hormonal endocrinologists to immunologists to all these, you know, gastroenterologists where, you know, the gastrointestinal tract affects the immune system and affects the hormones. So right. um, you can't separate those, um, especially when we're talking about a lot of the chronic problems that people are seeing these days and experiencing uh, in this day and age. Yeah, it's all interconnected. I definitely want to talk about that, but I I'm curious, since you were in this field before it was more mainstream like it is now, yeah, right. um, what was the health and especially the nutrition component? What was that like then? Because um, we see, you know, always there are different trends and diets. And, and I'm curious what it was like when you first got into the business. Yeah, I think with, um, I think I, I always say that uh, the nutritional field is kind of like fashion. So mm -hmm. it, it goes in cycles, you know. Right. Like and one, everything one comes year. back eventually. Yeah, everything comes back. I think, you know, like bell bombs will come back or, you know, overall. Oh, yeah, they're whatever. back. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. Um, and I think that's so true with nutrition as well, because right now, you know, if you, you know, I think that probably the most often searched or Googled um, diet is the keto diet, right? And so, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I played around with the keto diet, you know, in the early 90s. Um, wow. And, you know, and, it, and even then it was, you know, it's been around for years before that. So, um, you know, it, it, it definitely... Obviously, and back in those days, usually, I mean, from my perspective, because I was more trying to increase performance or lose body fat or gain muscle, um, at that period of time, it was, you know, more towards the aesthetics. Um, but, you know, for me and my sort of journey working with people, um, I realized that a lot of people were having the same issues. You know, they were constipated and they were having diarrhea and, and they didn't know what to do or you know, they were having problems sleeping or they were just fatigued all the time. Like they just couldn't get out of bed and they forced themselves to get out of bed and then, okay, have my coffee. And then I feel kind of normal. And then to be able to, you know, go, um, um, try to function through the day. You know, it's interesting because it sounds like you were dealing with what is now kind of the hot topic, which is gut health, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and digestive issues back then, but I don't know, maybe it's just uh, from my perspective, but it seems like gut issues are a lot more prevalent now, maybe than they were then, or maybe people just weren't talking about it. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, part of it could be that the fact that, um, you know, there's people are testing more for it, um, mm -hmm. you know, so they're going to their doctor saying, you know, I have these issues going on. So they're getting an endoscopy or, you know, they're, they're getting more tests done. So that could be part of it that they're, and they're researching it more. So um, that's happening. But I, I think, um, you know, as we go along um, and things are changing within, you know, lifestyles and what people are eating and everything else, um, I think there's definitely, um, I think people are definitely more aware of it. Um, yeah. They're realizing that, okay, this, this should not be, um, normal physiological function it, it's really common but it shouldn't be normal in someone's life so i think it's a little bit of both for people who don't know why is gut health so important to our overall well-being well i think 
a Russian pathologist said it best, uh, Eli Mechnikov, and he said, death begins in the colon. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that before, actually. Yeah. (laughs) So I always, I've never forgotten that once I heard that, I was like, whoa, okay. That's That's a bold statement. Very bold statement. And um, that was made a long time ago. And I think um, it definitely has a hand in, you know, in everything in terms of the function of the body, like I said before, you know, hormones, um, your, you know, like for example, 20% of your thyroid hormone is made in your gut. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, estrogen levels can be dramatically affected by your gut health. So, um, I think, um, you know, from, you know, from big picture perspective, if you look long-term, you know, you have to look at gut health impacting, you know, your quality of life, and then obviously your life expectancy as well. Um, And so um, I think, um, you know, we have to look at it from a big picture perspective, but also short-term perspective, you know, and obviously short-term perspective, people are complaining of immediate gas and bloating and, you know, they're having diarrhea more than usual, that kind of stuff. Um, But then, you know, from the bigger perspective, um, you know, you do have to look at, you know, bigger diseases that people could possibly get cancer, obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I noticed is with Parkinson's patients, um, a lot of high correlation with constipation and Parkinson's, like a lot of really are constipated, you know? Mm -hmm. So now the research is starting to gear towards that. Okay. Well, how does that impact the brain? And now we know, well, you know, the gut affects the brain. There's a gut brain connection. Such an important topic. And probably one that deserves its own episode. Um, But you mentioned hormones. Can you talk a little bit about why they're so important? And what do you even mean when you say hormones? I know probably for a lot of people, certainly for me up until a couple years ago, I only thought of hormones in terms of like reproductive hormones. Right. And, and, And most people think, oh, you're being hormonal and, you know, they, right. they always joke around and say, oh, you're, it's like you're having your menstrual cycle, whichever. Right. People think um, of it in the context of like a period or maybe yeah, testosterone it, or something and, that, or, and that's it. Yeah, exactly. And, and we're not excluding males. I don't want to leave the, the boys <laughs> out of there. Um, you know, like nowadays, obviously it's like, you know, it's PMS, menopause, perimenopause, but for men, you know, you go on any sort of sports talk radio show or whatever, a commercial is, every other commercial is like low T clinic, low T clinic. Right. <laughs> um, get your testosterone checked, right? Yeah. Um, and so we only think of hormones in the sense of, okay, it's my, for female, it's my estrogen, progesterone during my cycle. For male, it's testosterone or too much estrogen. Um, but when we look at it, uh, you know, in terms of more of a, uh, overall approach, then you have to look at the other parts of the hormones. So you have to look at the cortisol levels of your adrenal glands and aldosterone and, you know, norepinephrine, epinephrine, because you can't just um, be vi- very myopic and say, okay, well, your testosterone is low, so you have to take testosterone, or your right. estrogen is low, you have to take estrogen. Um, you have to, and, and that's what, um, I've always tried to do is ask the question why, you know, why, why is your testosterone level low or why is your estrogen level low? Why is your progesterone level low? 
And so oftentimes we need to factor those into um, someone's program and figure out, okay, why are they low? Because oftentimes if you just give that person the pill or you give them, you know, shots of testosterone for a male, um, they might feel better for the short term, but long term, they either feel worse or they get um, other symptoms um, because of the lack of, um, I guess, or just basically kind of creating a band-aid approach to the issue rather than getting to the root cause of the problem. What are your thoughts on synthetic hormones? Obviously, if you, if you look at it, it could be more of a, I guess you could say the, the medical approach in terms of medication, right? So mm -hmm. um, taking, you know, exogenous estrogen, or you could, it's sort of kind of like a gray area when you start to say, okay, we're going to do bioidentical hormones. You know, right. so now we're taking natural, the exact estrogen progesterone that, you know, is bioidentical to the, the body's estrogen progesterone. Um, and then, so, you know, you have that sort of spectrum there. And so um, in regards to, you know, even if it's the safer way, like the bioidentical hormones, that's, you know, um, what's touted in, in even the functional medicine route. Um, mm -hmm. From my experience, I, I would tend to err on the side of caution with that. Um, and the reason being is that, yes, you might get an immediate effect. And so someone feels better when you introduce it. But again, it comes back to why is it low? Like, why are the, the levels dysfunctional? And so right. that's where you need to do some investigative work. And that's, for me, that's my job is, okay, well, why is it low? And, and, and you can't just look at um, labs. Like, I, I'm a big proponent of looking at labs because, um, you know, if you're not assessing, you're guessing, you know. Mm -hmm. That was a famous line by a uh, mentor of mine, Paul Check, a long time ago. Um, so you do have to do some assessments and tests, um, but you also need to look at other factors. So you have to look at lifestyle. You have to look right. at someone's stress level, sleep, obviously what they eat, what they exercise, because they're all encompassing. And so you do have to look at those factors. So that's why when I consult with someone that's new, it takes an hour for me to consult with them because I want to hear their history. I want to hear their medical background because there's lots of little nuggets in there that they tell me to go, okay, that's completely makes sense of why you're at the state of dysfunction at this period of time because of your history. Yeah. You took a really thorough history with me. It was like an hour. I was not used to that. I was used to seeing somebody for five minutes and then getting blood work and being told that I was in the normal range. And as we know, being in the normal range on blood panels isn't necessarily a good thing. Normal doesn't indicate that you're healthy necessarily or thriving. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, I mean, it does bring up a good point in terms of when you look at lab profiles. I mean, perfect example is if you look at someone's thyroid panel with thyroid stimulating hormone, TSH, I mean, the, the values are so wide ranging. And so someone could technically in, in the normal range, but they're low normal, you mm -hmm. know? And so, um, that may be an issue, you know, vitamin D, um, 25 hydroxy vitamin D. That's another classic example. Cause the range is, I think it's between 30 to eight, 80 nanograms per milliliter. And, um, you know, if you're at 30, they're like, Oh, you're normal. 
Right. But, you know, that will be considered low normal. And ideally, you should be probably between 50 to 60, maybe 60 to 70. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's some interpretation in regards to some of those labs. Um, But, you know, I think when, you know, you came to see me, I think what what tends to happen is that um, when when, you know, you you're fairly young, you're a beautiful woman you're not overweight. You don't look like you're unhealthy, right? Like you actually look very vital and healthy. So yeah. they look at you, go, why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> like what? Nothing could be wrong with you, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, I, 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 I get a lot of people like this, especially and women, you know, they're fairly fit and they're trying to work out and they're doing like all the quote unquote right things but yet they're still having some of these imbalances and the doctors go like, no, you're either something's wrong in your head or you're, there's nothing wrong with you. Like we did the standard blood work or whatever, you know, and um, there's nothing wrong with you. But you know, I, I, I'm not living in your body. Like, you know, your body best. Right. And so, but I'm just kind of, I'm a guide. I'm a, I'm a coach to say, Hey, you know, these are the things that I'm seeing from the outside looking in and these are potential probably red flags that's probably contributing to whatever your complaint is and so i think um that's sort of the the biggest gap that i see uh, in regards to um especially some of the women that that are seeking some of the help is that you know they're looked upon as healthy and it reminds me i mean i just a couple weeks ago one of my clients said yeah i went to the gi doc and he said you eat too healthy you need to go eat some junk food Oh um, my god. That was his sort of answer and and I don't know why he gave that answer but I thought that doesn't really make that, sense, you no, know. No, not at all. Um, yeah, and so Strange. um but that, I, I think that's sort of the gap and that's where I'm trying to educate people and 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 fill them up in that gap. Um and you know it it can be really tough with digestive issues because there's so many factors involved and it's not just food or it's not just, you know, um you know, stress and all the other things, it could be all five of the things that could be affecting your GI tract. So sometimes right. it can be difficult to find the, that one, you know, root cause of the problem. And sometimes it's, it's multifactorial. Oftentimes it's multifactorial. I get this question all the time on Instagram and I'm sure you do too. <laughs> but <laughs> if somebody thinks that they're having issues with their gut or hormones or whatever it may be, they, they are feeling off. Mm-hmm. Um, what is, maybe we should narrow it down to just digestion. What is the right. one thing that, how would you recommend they, they start um, trying to figure out what's going on? I think with uh, digestion in terms of trying to figure out what's going on, um, I think the, the, the biggest thing is what we could talk about is their, their stress load. Mm-hmm. So I, I, that's the, I think that's the most difficult part of trying to help someone and work with them is that if I'm, if the, if the particular client's not able to control their stress, then um, it's very, very difficult to try to get a handle on their digestive issues. Um, Interesting. So um, and, 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 you know, let me clarify what I under like the umbrella of stress. So stress, we always think of mental, emotional, right? Like yep. you're, 
you're breaking up with your boyfriend or a girlfriend or you're getting a divorce, you're moving into a new house, you're moving to a new state, you know, that kind of stuff. But underneath that, we also have to consider the other components of stress. So it could be physical stress. So, you know, the, the culture of fitness right now is that you need to go balls to the wall and you need right. to kill yourself <laughs> and you need to, you know, count your macros and you need to go low calorie and all those things. Well, that in itself could be a massive stress to the system. Yes. Especially when you take into account that this particular person is, you know, in a job where they're working 78 hours a week, they're only sleeping five and a half, six hours a night, maybe six and a half hours a night. Um, and then they have, you know, the stress dynamics at work. So, you know what I mean? Like it, it could be like physical, like too much exercise for someone or right. it could be, they're not eating enough food. You know, they're eating good quality food, but they're not eating enough. So yeah, it's, I mean, that was a really like tough question to answer because I, I say stress and I'm giving you all these other factors. And so mm -hmm. that's where I would say, you know, um, um, it, it's, it's sort of a huge kind of loaded question. Um, yep. but saying that, you know, I would say, um, from let's say just, uh, like a food perspective, like make sure that, you know, the basic foundational stuff is, you know, drink half your body ounces of water a day. Like you have to do that. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts around that. You got to start doing that. Otherwise you're just not giving the body what it needs on a daily basis. And that, right. is, that in itself can be a stressor to the system. Uh, so you want to rule that out. And then um, from a food perspective, you know, just really try to control blood sugar. Cause that's really one of the keys towards um, de-stressing your system and allowing your system to handle stress because stress isn't bad. It's just, if the stress is too much for your system, then it's a bad thing. And diets or certain lifestyle tools, I'll call them like intermittent fasting for one can be major stressors to our systems too. And a lot of times we don't even realize it. Obviously that's, that's probably one of the other big, I guess, diet trends or plans that are out there is, is to do intermittent fasting with IF. And so, um, I, I always tell people it's a tool, but mm -hmm. you have to know how to use a tool properly. So you can't think of everything as a nail and you're just going to use a hammer. I mean, um, right. that, but that tends to be kind of the way it is sometimes. And so you, you have to definitely be careful with, uh, something like intermittent fasting, especially when in the context of someone that may have, um, especially issues with energy as well as anxiety and depression, I find um, that's probably not a good option because um, their blood sugar is probably unstable to begin with. And so when you get someone in that state and, and, uh, and, and low cortisol levels and their body doesn't just have the capacity to, to handle the, the lack of eating basically mm -hmm. that people are going or putting themselves through. And they get hangry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing good. is that, you know, and I, and I, I tell people all the time, like I've done, you know, the first time I found out intermittent fasting was 2010 from a colleague of mine, um, John Berardi. Mm -hmm. And, um, I didn't, I've been experimenting since then. And so, um, you do have to be very, very careful because the, the, basically if you're going to do intermittent fasting and you want to know, okay, am I okay with it or not? The one telltale sign is that if you haven't eaten from, you know, 10 o'clock the night before till 12 or one the next day, um, pretty much you should just feel hungry and that's about it. 
and once you eat, you shouldn't feel hungry. But if you feel right. like your mood is all over the place, you feel hangry, you're starting to feel depressive thoughts, you're getting anxiety, that's mm -hmm. a sign that your body can't handle it. Right. And so you, you definitely want to think twice about doing IF. Yeah. When I tried it, I experienced all of that and I got really bloated, which was mm, yeah. interesting because yeah, I wasn't yeah, eating. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but it was probably the, the added stress. Yeah, absolutely. So another, another question that I get all the time, as I'm sure you do as well, is around supplementation. It seems like there are so many in the market now that are, that are promised to do all these things and um, how effective can they be? When are they appropriate? How much of it is supplementation? How much is lifestyle? What are your thoughts around that? Right. Yeah, I would, I mean, um, in my, obviously the, the topic of the big hole in one nutrition, the, the book I wrote this past, uh, or 2018. Which is amazing. Um, and everybody golf. should get, thank you. If they're not golfers. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that, and that's the thing is obviously a lot of people have asked me, well, is this going to help me? And I said, well, um, the general principles, well, it, it will help you. Um, yeah. and, and the whole in one nutrition food pyramid, nutrition pyramid is the bottom tier is hydration. Middle tier is uh, whole food. And then the top tier is supplementation. So I really wanted to really keep it simple. Right. And so, you know, the supplements were only going to be as good as your foundation. So obviously your foundation is going to be hydration first. And then mm -hmm. the middle tier is going to be whole foods. And then the top tier is going to be supplementation. So um, in, in very rare cases, I may go the other way around and, and, and maybe use more supplements uh, sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but um, that's why I say you got to make sure you're you know, drinking half your body ounces a day first. And then the middle tier, really try to make sure you get whole food supplements as much as you can first. Um, and then at the very top tier, then use the appropriate supplements. And for me, um, you know, I, I think appropriate supplements would be depending on what your goals are, or maybe some of your health issues. Like, for example, if someone's constipated all the time, then I'm going to usually look at one first water, make sure that's in there. Um, make sure they're having enough probably fiber in the form of vegetables from their whole food perspective. And then the top tier supplementation, then I'm going to be start starting to look at, Hey, you know, you have a lot of stress in your life. Um, every time you get stressed, you get depleted of magnesium. So we're going to start to do a magnesium load test with you. And, um, you know, that, that's where we'd kind of go with someone with constipation uh -huh. um, and, and to do use that. And if, if that doesn't work, then I'll start to look at, okay, we may need to use some other herbs and things like that to, to, um, to help move the bowels. Yeah. When we're talking about supplementation in regards to, your your gut health and the GI tract. I think one of the probably the one I guess one of the biggest myths is probiotics. Like if yeah. you have gut health issues, probiotics use probiotics. Mm -hmm. um, and it's sort of a toss up. It's almost fifty fifty. I find um, some people is like, oh my gosh, that made you know world of difference. Um, in the context of let's say someone who has a lot of bloating and it could be from bacteria, you know, SIBO, or it could be, well, let's just keep it in context of SIBO. So bacteria overgrowth, then sometimes when you add probiotics into the mix, that's like adding gasoline to the fire. 
Right. People go, oh my gosh, my bloating's worse. I can't believe this. Like probiotics are supposed to help me. So yeah, that happened um, to me actually last winter. Remember? Right. Yeah. So that's why we have to be careful of that. And so, you know, and the reason why I say it's complicated is just from experience because, you know, I run tons of tons of stool tests on, on clients. And so it's not just one thing that comes back, you know, as an overgrowth. Um, Sometimes it's three bacteria, parasite, and candida. And you're going, holy cow, like, okay, so we're going to have to deal with this and do a detox. Um, You know, if it's just yeast or something overgrowth, then it's a pretty simple thing uh, to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, that's where it can be somewhat complicated. So, for example, let's say if it was just yeast and, um, you know, nothing else, then you could probably use a probiotic and be probably – in a, in a safe place and to do a, you know, digestive detox. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, if someone has, you know, multiple bacteria overgrowth, then you have to be careful with the probiotic. So the bottom line is it's different for everybody and we should all assess individually what's going on in our own bodies. Like I just even recommend, like just like you would go to the doctor for blood work once a year, I think people should get, you know, a stool test once a year. Right. Um, you know, like if you travel and you eat out, you know, people eat tons of sushi all the time. And I got to tell you, the first time I learned about um, all this functional medicine stuff with parasites and everything else, I mean, the the naturopathic doctor was like, you know, 100% of sushi has parasites. Wow. You know? um, yes. I didn't know that until a couple months ago when I started having um, some unpleasant digestive issues. And I consulted with you about it and yeah <laughs> turns out and I don't eat sushi very much anymore I used right. to um, but I had yeah. had sushi like two weeks before and you put me on a regimen and I got better after a couple of weeks but yeah so that's it's it's a tough one like with raw food and then you know sushi sashimi is typically looked at as the healthy type of food right right um, and it's raw and everything like that but I I would err on the side of caution and you know, I still have it every once in a while, but I, you know, like the trend this, these days are pokey bowls, right? So everybody's eating pokey. Yes. Um, but I, I stray away from that because I, you know, for maybe a month, I ate sushi every single weekend. And then sure enough, end of summertime, I'm like, why in the hell am I so bloated? I'm like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. You know, like, I looked like I was like four months pregnant, like after eating. I'm like, this is, this is not normal. Of course right. I do a stool test and then I got a parasite. So even um, though you're I'm not, I'm not unquote, immune to it at all, for sure. Like I, yeah. I definitely have these things going on. So, um, it's just, sometimes it happens. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's good if you get, get tested. Yeah. You got to collect your poop and that kind of stuff, but it just takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. Um, like you, you can try it. So, you know, I'm sure 50% of the people that are listening, they're probably, well, I'm going to use a probiotic and 50% right. you might get better and the other 50 might not, or you might get worse. Obviously the testing process is not the greatest. <laughs> and I think people are hesitant to spend money on testing and might see all of this as kind of frivolous. And yes, it's a, it's a luxury to be able to afford this stuff. But the alternative, at least in my experience, was spending money on supplements aimlessly, 
kind of like you were saying before, just guessing, throwing things at it, hoping something would stick and spending money on doctors and um, different specialists and never getting to the root cause, which all of that in total far surpassed what at least I have spent so far on some lab tests and some supplements. Yeah. And that, that actually, that reminds me. So I know we, we, we talked about, okay, well, you know, talking about digestion and the gut and where, you know, if you have issues, what's actually one thing you could really do. And I talked about the whole stress thing and it makes me think actually one thing that you can do this, the day that you're listening to this podcast (laughs) is be mindful when you eat. So what I mean by that is I think, you know, there's another way of saying is eat in peace, right? Like Mm -hmm. one of the things that I found um, that's very common in, you know, people that are, you know, it doesn't matter whether they're a CEO, whether they're just an entrepreneur or whatever they're doing, um, is that people are not taking a break to eat their food. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm guilty of this, like I like to read or, you know, you know, watch something educational or something like that. But we have to realize is that the eyes, whenever you're reading or answering email or whichever, you, one, you're not paying attention to your food, right? right. So what ends up happening is you don't chew your food enough. So if you don't chew your food enough, well, that's the process of digestion right there is chewing your food or even thinking about your food is the start of the digestive process. So you have to make sure you chew your food. And the only way to do that is be conscious, be mindful when you're eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other part of it is, you know, if you're like the avid reader or, you know, you're looking on the internet or whatever, um, the vision takes a lot of energy. And so what ends up happening is a lot of the blood is diverted from your digestive tract into your eyes. And so that's why it's really important that you, like you literally want to try to just sit there and, you know, enjoy a meal with your, your loved one and your family. Like we try to do family dinner every single night so we can catch up, talk, joke around, whatever. Um, and so I think that's really, really important. So I think that's something that all the listeners can do right away. And, you know, there's a, you know, um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say, but, but focusing on, you know, try, try eating without your phone and, and try to eat a meal in, in 20 minutes time. Cause I'm a really fast eater. So I, yeah, me too. I have to really, yeah, to be really, you know, cognizant of, okay, like chew my food and, and do that. And the other thing you might want to try to do is um, try to drink, uh, not drink, but eat a meal without drinking water. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that. Because yeah. a lot of people think, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat this meal and then I'm going to drink a ton of water to help my body digest it. But really, it, right. doesn't it kind of break down the hydrochloric acid? Yeah, so it's a, possi- it? it's a possibility that that could do it. Um, but the, the other reason why I say that is because I'm, I'm really weird. Like my wife thinks I'm so weird, but sometimes we, you know, we'll go on date night and then um, I'll be watching people as they eat because I'm really curious to see, okay, they're going to take a huge bite of that steak or that whatever meat and they chew maybe six, seven, eight times and then they swallow. Right. And they're already putting food in their mouth again. And so what I noticed is that people will drink water excessively because they're pushing the food down their esophagus uh-huh. so that's why i'm saying is that if you tend to be that person that drinks a lot of water during a meal try not drinking water during a meal and 
and then you'll go oh my god like my food's getting stuck in my in my in my throat like i definitely need to chew my food more so interesting yeah that's something that you can kind of try and experiment uh with well i was i was gonna ask you as our closing question what is one aspect of our lifestyle that's really critical for our overall well-being that people overlook but maybe that's maybe that's kind of your tip is being mindful when we're eating or i don't know if you have anything else you want to add um yeah i would say um yes being very um mindful of uh when you're eating um that would be uh basically the the I think the number one thing that we can do, like an action item to take, take away right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, um, you know, in the, the grand scheme of thing, I think, uh, and more research is coming out is um, about sleep. So, you know, with sleep, you want to make sure you're getting enough sleep over, you know, a week period of time. Obviously they, you know, take about eight hours uh, of sleep a night because, um, just a simple study that they did with people is that just for three weeks, they deprived them of sleep. So what they did was like, they have a, a basically like a, a baseline three week period where they would basically make these people sleep eight hours a night. So they're getting plenty of sleep, mm-hmm. eight to nine hours a night. And then for three weeks, they deprived them of sleep about five and a half hours a night, um, which isn't too far off the map in terms of for people in terms of their sleep patterns. Sometimes, you know, they're not sleeping that much. Um, and what they showed in, in just three weeks, they were all pre-diabetic. I mean, you're going, what? Like pre-diabetic and their, and their blood work was normal before that. So I would say that would be one of the big things is, you know, people typically think of, oh, you sleep too much, you know, you're lazy, but really in the context of a lot of the different health issues and healing your gut and healing your hormones, um, sleep is that overlooked um, factor in regards to getting yourself healthy. And quality sleep, right? Not taking Nambien and passing out. For- exactly. And obviously, you know, that's, you know, yeah, that can be part of the factor involved in that. And you've got to do some investigative work in terms of why you need to do that. But um, yeah, if there's issues with sleep and that definitely needs to be, to be, um, to worked on and then to figure out why you can't sleep. Yep. I think that's such a hard one, especially now because everybody is so busy and go, go, go. And yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Rob, for joining me. Hopefully I'll have you on again. <laughs> so be on yeah, standby. <laughs> we only kind of hit the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of you know, other things you can do or you know, we need to talk about and answer some other questions. But uh, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. And thank you, listener, for tuning in and bearing with me as I find my footing here in this podcasting world. Again, apologies for the audio. I have it figured out now, but my first few interviews are of different qualities because I was playing around with different software and microphones and all of that good stuff that I know nothing about. So it's a learning curve. But anyway, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode and I will talk to you next week.